Mr. Keto with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the 162nd episode of the Robots Podcast. I am Jana and in this episode, our interviewer Audro speaks to James Conrad about the inexpensive walking robot, Stikito. But first, here are the news with Christine. Thank you, Jana. For unmanned aerial vehicles, safety is a main concern. No one wants a flying lawnmower falling from the sky or buzzing your passenger aircraft. To improve drone safety, the University ETH Zurich has designed algorithms to keep quadrocopters in flight so that they can be safely landed should a propeller fail. And the company DJI Innovations has released no-fly zone software, which prevents DJI copters from flying around airports and other prohibited areas. Now DJI Innovations has introduced their drop speed reduction system that is, in essence, a parachute to deploy in case of an emergency. The system weighs around 1.2 pounds, 0.5 kilograms, can be mounted on top of DJI S800 or S1000 and is deployed in half a second. By deploying the parachute, there is the possibility that the drone will be blown away or get stuck in a tree but it's better than having a drone lose control and crash. It is reasonable to expect that the drop-safe and similar parachute systems will become standard UAV equipment in the near future. On July 15th, Jaiba launched a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo with the goal of raising $100,000 towards developing their new social robot for the home. Less than one week later, Jaibo surpassed the $1 million mark. The robot Jaibo looks something out of Pixar's Wally. He weighs 6 pounds, 2.5 kilograms, and stands at 11 inches, 28 centimeters tall. He is the brainchild of Cynthia Breziel, director of MIT's Personal Robots Group, and is designed to be an intelligent assistant and companion for the home. Tell Jaibo it's time to order a pizza, and it will go online to get your usual. Celebrating a birthday? Jaiba can snap a photo of your daughter blowing out the candles on the cake. It also performs tasks normally associated with smart assistants, like reminders or sending messages. Cynthia Breziel says, Jaiba is almost like the meta of everything I've learned and all the insights I've had at MIT, and the huge need for technology to go beyond information. For more information on drone safety and social robots, visit robohub.org. James Conrad is Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering at the University of North Carolina in Charlotte, USA. His research focuses on robotics, embedded systems, and parallel processing. Along with Jonathan Mills, he has published a number of books on Stikito, a small, inexpensive, six-legged robot used commonly in higher education and by many hobbyists. Professor Conrad spoke to our interviewer Audro about Stikito, its history, successes, and future applications. 
Hi, welcome to Robots. Hello. Please introduce yourself. My name is James Conrad. I'm a professor of electrical and computer engineering at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. My area of research is in robotics. So tell us a little bit about Stiquito. All right. Stiquito is a small insect-like looking robot. It has six legs. It resembles a walking stick insect. And the, uh, the six legs are uh, coming out about an inch from a, uh, about a one-half inch wide body. And this is about uh, three inches long as well. And then when the, uh, the legs come out, it's about uh, two and a half inches wide. The robot walks by means of a muscle wire. Uh, this is trade-named Flexinol. But this wire actually contracts when an electrical current goes through it, and it uh, and it heats up. Tell us a little bit about the history of Stiquito. History of Stiquito was that in approximately 1991, a researcher at the University of Indiana, Jonathan Mills, was looking for a platform which to te- test his algorithms for. Uh, uh, artificial intelligence, and some other uh, behaviors associated with uh, computing. And he wanted to have a relatively inexpensive platform to um, use these computational uh, algorithms with. And obviously he turned to robotics because it was uh, a burgeoning field at that time. But Robotics at that time was very expensive, and so he created his own smaller version of a robot called Stiquito, where the uh, materials to build this could be found in any hobby store. And you can build it and put your uh, computational device on top of the vehicle or on top of the, uh, the robot itself. So what did the first Stiquito do? Well, the first Stiquito, uh, of course, walked. <laughs> And it walks by means of uh, three legs are moving forward and back at the same time at any time. If you uh, imagine the six legs of this device, there's, of course, uh, pairs of legs right next to each other. And it walks by means of a tripod. In in other words, the three legs that are uh, two on one side and one on the other uh, will hold it in position and and they will... uh, they will actually pull back by means of the heating of the flexinol wire. And the first walking stiquitos uh, could have been controlled either manually with uh, like a switch or with some of the electronics, but also you need to add some amplification because flexinol is a very, very uh, needy, electrically needy technology. Uh, an inch of flexinol wire usually has about three ohms of resistance, and it will take whatever voltage you have. So, of course, using the formula V equals IR, uh, you can see how you would have a lot of uh, current running through a very small amount of, of uh, resistance. Mm-hmm. How did you deal with this? Well, it's one of the uh, difficulties of working with uh, Stiquito is that it does eat a lot of batteries very quickly. 
or you can use a bench power supply to uh, be able to supply the voltage. But again, this was a research platform, which actually turned out to be something rather interesting to a lot of people. And so people were starting to look at, well, could I use this for education? In other words, just to see what robotics is like. Um, can I mimic or build my own robot for $10? Yeah, and then you had a lot of interest, and people were asking Jonathan Mills if they could receive the pieces of it, and you guys took off from there. Is that how you were first involved with Well, him? I first got involved when I read about his idea, and uh, he was allowing people to send him $10 in an envelope, and he would send back uh, the envelope full of materials. And it got to the point where he didn't realize just how popular he, it would be. He got somewhere between two and 3,000 requests um, to the point where it wasn't sustainable. That's when um, I started working with uh, Jonathan. And I actually designed a more commercial type of application where the, um, the materials were a lot easier to use and build. Uh, for example, to build one of these Stakito robots originally, you had to drill very small holes, and very few people had drill bits that were that small. One sixty-fourth of an inch uh, in diameter is uh, the size of the smallest one. So we, uh, I actually worked on commercializing this, and in the process we wrote a book on how to build Stakito and then how to use it for uh, research. And that was so popular it, it sold uh, around 28,000 copies. We also uh, did a second book on how to use it for education. We sold 28,000 of those. And uh, and then there's finally a third version of this book where, oh, by the way, I should mention, uh, when you buy the book, it has inside the book all the materials to build the robot. Hmm. And the third version of the book, we wanted to extend it to allow you to program it. So we designed and built a printed circuit board that has a microcontroller on it. And it comes already programmed, but if you wish to, you can change the program on that. So our third version, or the third book that came out, actually comes with a programmable microcontroller. Once you added the microcontroller, what kind of things did you do with the Stikido? Well, when you add a microcontroller, now you have the, the wonderful option of not only controlling how it works, but also reacting to its environment. So I know of uh, people, including uh, some people that have worked in my labs, that have added things like uh, light sensing. And so the robotic uh, insect would walk towards light. Well, that's as opposed to a cockroach. Doesn't it run away from light? <laughs> so um, we could program the uh, Stikido to actually walk away from light as well if we wish to. We also added uh, wireless capabilities in some cases where uh, we could send, I should say wireless, it should be infrared. That's a wireless technology. But using infrared, be able to transmit uh, commands to our uh, microcontroller board asking the insect to walk left or walk right. Why was Stikido significant in the early 2000s? Well, the first book came out in um, November, December 1997. And, of course, when something is first new and it first comes out, it doesn't gain um, a lot of acceptance or a lot of people don't realize that it's out there. But it did 
start to do a lot of sales in uh, uh, 1998. And as people discovered it, word of mouth, um, they picked it up and I actually heard about uh, school teachers and university professors and hobbyists and and their students um, picking up this taquito book to actually start and dabble in robotics for the first time. Now, remember back then, there were very few robotics platforms that were relatively inexpensive. Um, really, Lego Mindstorms wasn't out. Um, the robots that were out there, and I'm waving my little fingers in the, uh, in the little quote sign, the robots that were out there were uh, commercial attempts that had a lot of complexity, but there was nothing that was just this simple. All it was is, is simply some wires, and, and when you put it together, um, the first versions worked with uh, a switch. It's just simply a piece of wire that says, connect these three legs to the uh, power, all right, and you let it up and you press the other switch and it's connect those three legs to power and it allowed uh, the Stikido robot to move by pulling its legs back, digging into the surface that it was and pushing its body forward, kind of scooting forward. And that was a great way for people to first get introduced to some aspect of robotics, something that they can build that um, replicated in, in this case, in this case, a, a biological uh, insect. Now, there are other people that looked at that and said, that is cool, but I would like it to actually take steps. And so um, Jonathan Mills saw somebody take the original uh, Stiquito uh, kit book, or the, uh, the, the Stiquito book kit, I should say, and make some modifications to it such that not only did the legs go forward and back, but they also lifted too. And to do that, you need really computer control. When I designed the plastic body that people use to, uh, to build this taquito, I had an inkling that that would be possible. And so I added extra holes for one to be able to put some additional... Uh, flexinol wire and make electrical connections that would allow it to not only go forward and backward but to lift. And that was the beginning of a progression of some ideas for how do we get this to actually be a, um, a walking robot controlled by a microcontroller. So a microcontroller, uh, in the first example of what we did, it was the uh, Motorola 68HC11 one of the uh, very popular uh, microcontrollers from the, the mid-1990s. We, uh, we built some circuit boards and were able to control the walking of our Stiquito robot using that microcontroller. So why did you choose that microcontroller? Well, at the time, uh, there were very few microcontrollers that had everything you needed on it that were small and that were relatively inexpensive and at the time, Motorola was really, really pushing this technology such that uh, they gave a lot, away a lot of free stuff to universities. And so uh, I was able to get uh, free and relatively inexpensive development boards, uh, software tools, parts themselves. 
and I, I chose that. Uh, pretty much all the microcontrollers at the time had the same amount of memory on them and had pretty much the same type of functionality. Hmm. So um, we used the 68HC11, and it was a pretty good application. In fact, uh, some of those applications were uh, written about in the first book for, uh, for the control. But we also had um, an inkling that there were some other microcontrollers that were a little bit more basic that people can use. So this next unit I have here is uh, a Parallax basic stamp development board. Can you describe the way that the Stiquito looks to our listeners? Sure thing. Stiquito, as I mentioned, is the uh, the walking stick looking uh, vehicle, and on top of it, we've placed a Parallax basic stamp development board. The board itself has a PIC microcontroller, some other uh, electronics on it, which uh, allow for communications uh, for programming. But it also has a prototyping area. And in this small prototyping area, we added a Darlington transistor array, which is uh, nothing more than a a lot of um, transistors, which allow you to drive the legs of the Stiquito. And by downloading software to the basic stamp board, you can program on your PC a application that would allow this to uh, walk or to do light following, and then download it to the device, uh, attach a battery on top, and then it uh, it runs without being tethered to a uh, PC or, or, for that matter, even tethered to power. Mm-hmm. And when did you begin adding sensors to the Stiquito? Was it the generation after this, or it, did you it, begin on this one? Pretty much... As we went along, we were adding different types of sensors to see if, for example, light following could be done. Could we also um, measure if the device was walking by uh, measuring how much current was actually going through each of the each of the leg wires? So we've been putting sensors like that on um, almost since the beginning. What challenges did you encounter when working with Stiquito? Well, as I mentioned, since Stiquito uses flexinol wire and flexinol requires a lot of a lot of energy uh, we went through a lot of batteries and you also have to carefully control how the flexinol is heated if you heat it too fast or you maintain too much uh, current through the wire it actually melts and so uh, in the process of, of developing our our algorithms using the microcontroller, we had to ensure that we use pulse width modulation. In other words, you give it some energy and then let it rest, and give it some more energy and let it rest, and you do that many, many, many times in one second. Then you're able to uh, better control how much current is running through that wire. That's another aspect of that. The other is that, you know, this is rather difficult to build. As I mentioned, there's holes that are 1 64th of an inch in diameter and you have to string um, wires through that, and then you have to take this very thin flexinol wire, which is 0.004 inches in diameter, and crimp it to the legs using uh, aluminum tubing. And so it is a little bit difficult to build a Stiquito robot. You have to have fairly good dexterity, and 
It's a little bit harder for me now that I have to wear reading glasses to see much of anything. It's kind of hard to build if you don't have uh, uh, good corrected vision. What have you learned from the entire process with Stiquito? I actually um, characterize the design process and the thoughts I had gone through for doing the commercial Stiquito kit, the one with the... Uh, the black plastic body that had all the holes in it. That's actually um, described in the second book as an educational examination of how one goes through the design process. So what it did for me is that I actually looked at if I want to um, have a walking robot, how do I go about theoretically investigating how it walks and then how do I have to go through several iterations of of building and testing to actually find something. And so it helped me hone my, my uh, skills as an engineer, um, but also as a researcher. Are you still doing research with Stiquito? Well, so to speak, Stiquito has no legs anymore, right? <laughs> there are a lot of applications and there's a lot of uh, other platforms out there that are, uh, how, what's the best way to put it, sexier. Um, Lego Mindstorms comes to mind. It's a great kit, 300 300 to $400 now for the EV3. Um, it does a whole lot more. Uh, it's a lot easier to build Legos than it is to build a Stiquito. And so Stiquito is not really um, used by too many people anymore. I do see um, a lot of researchers or a lot of educators uh, wanting to use it for biomedical engineering because, uh, of course, it uh, it mimics a insect and they want to look at some concepts associated with, oh, here's a simple way that you can do uh, low-level control of something that is really biomedical. What do you think is the future of robotics? The future of robotics is pretty much our future. I mean, you have to imagine um, all the different applications that robotics are used today, everything from manufacturing to uh, an autonomous vehicle, Google. Um, some robotic-like technologies are used for drones to keep it aloft. Um, people are starting to use, in fact, think about Dean Kamen's uh, Luke arm or Luke hand. Um, that is considered a robotic, robotic application where uh, with control and power and signals from the brain, you can control a robotic hand. We're going to see a lot more of that in the near future and even a lot more wild applications in the future. Thank you so much. And that's the end of this episode. As always, just visit our website at robotspodcast.com for more information, images, videos, and all our past episodes. The next episode will air in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Stiquito with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.